Welcome to the Placebo Magic Podcast, the podcast about teaming up with your superstitious brain. I'm your host, Durmak, the wizard and peasant lord of this vast ten-acre realm of Habdur, also known as Farm Code Gary, also known as Garrison Benson. In the first episode, Introduction to Placebo Magic, I promised I would get back to today's topic, which is what makes things powerful, magically speaking? What makes certain objects or people or gestures or sounds or locations or words or actions more useful for spellcasting than others? The general idea is that something has magical power if the brain treats it as significantly meaningful. Most of what we sense in our day-to-day lives we dismiss as noise. Anything that makes the brain pay more attention is magically powerful. When the brain interprets something, it translates it into an abstract representation of the real thing. So we could say that any smell, any gesture, any word or phrase, any person, any sigil, basically anything becomes a pattern in the brain. Magic spells and rituals primarily involve invoking the power in patterns in order to manipulate the power in other patterns. Patterns that you invoke have to be powerful in order to work. In other words, your brain has to believe on an instinctive level that the patterns are powerfully meaningful. Chances are that your brain takes the pattern of fire very seriously, both as a source of comfort and as a source of danger. Chances are that your brain has a potent instinctual reaction to the pattern of the McDonald's arches, or the smell of vomit, or the gesture of kneeling, or the face or name of Donald Trump. These are all patterns. Now, when I say that a spell invokes the power in a pattern, what I really mean is that you use the pattern in some way while casting the spell. Like, let's say you're casting a spell to attract new love, a spell that you found in a dusty old grimoire that you bought from a mysterious shop that you could swear was not there yesterday. So let's say the the spell tells you to first cast a circle of protection, then call on Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love, then burn incense, then light three red candles, then kneel while reading a rhyming poem. Now that spell invokes a number of patterns, a circle, a boundary, Aphrodite and more generally a goddess, uh, the strong smell of incense, the color red, fire, the number three, kneeling, and whatever was in the poem, especially the rhymes, plus the dusty old grimoire and in in turn the mysterious shop. You invoke the power in those patterns in order to manipulate your brain's associations with other patterns. In this case, you're creating a sort of open, unfinished pattern of the new lover that will come to you you creating an expectation. If the spell worked, then after casting it, your brain will be very watchful for and open to new romantic opportunities. To your conscious mind, it might seem as if this stream of new opportunities wasn't there before, but of course it was always there, you just hadn't noticed it because your brain wasn't ready to notice it. Anyway, the patterns that you invoke also have to be relevant to the specific result that you're trying to achieve. I used Aphrodite as an example here because she's the goddess of love. On the other hand, Athena is the goddess of war, not only irrelevant to the desired results of falling in love, but arguably opposed to it. Now, if you make a voodoo doll, the doll has to have like a strand of hair or something else to connect it to the targeted person. So among the components of a spell, you need both general magical power and you need a source of power specifically connected to the patterns that you're trying to manipulate. So what makes certain patterns powerful? Well, there are a lot of sources of power, but all of them are originally rooted in strong sensory experiences. Sense is basically raw 
magical power because it's the basic building block of your brain's entire knowledge base, its entire pattern library. Any potent sensory experience is a powerful pattern in itself, but all patterns can be composed and remixed into other patterns, and anything powerful has to eventually be connected to a strong sensory experience. So for instance, the symbol of a wine glass has some power because of its association with wine, and wine has power because of its association with the smell, the taste, the color, the feeling of intoxication, and the memories of good or bad nights spent with wine, which is to say its experiences of happiness or sadness or whatever. Uh, sensory experience could be a smell. Think of how often aromatic herbs and incense and essential oils are used in magic or religion or alternative medicine. It could be pain. Think of acupuncture. It could be sweetness or bitterness or another strong taste. It could be heat or cold. Think of sweat lodges and candles. It could be an interesting texture. It could be the feeling of cool air against your skin when you're naked outdoors. It could be the sensation of movement from dancing. It could be darkness or bright light or a striking color. It could be the sound of a wooden flute. It could be sexual arousal or orgasm. It could be a gag reflex. Basically any striking sensation, good or bad, and striking especially means novel, but novel or strong. And uh, a sensory experience can include emotions and states of consciousness. A strong emotion creates an impression, just like a strong uh, sense from your traditional five senses. And so a strong emotion can make symbols magically powerful. For instance, a lot of rituals that would be considered evil draw power from negative emotions like anger, guilt, shame, or revulsion. Uh, for instance, virgins symbolize innocence. So a virgin sacrifice is a powerful symbol of guilt, the feeling that you've transgressed a moral boundary. So um, by sacrificing a virgin, you tap into a lot of power. Not saying that's a good thing, but <laughs> it probably works. In folklore, evil witches oftentimes use magic power by disgusting things, by the emotion of disgust. Potions made of tail of newt and hair of possum and fingernails and whatever else. On the other hand, most people who practice magic or religion use good moods to power their magic, like the high that you get from participating in an energetic worship service at a church, or the calm that you feel from meditating. Personally, I practice mindfulness meditation for about five minutes before casting a spell, in order to summon a feeling of serenity and safety. Now, fear is a massive source of power because it makes a very strong impression on the brain. That's basically just an evolutionary um, adaptation. When you feel fear, whatever it is that you're afraid of gets charged with magical power, the power of fear. So let's say you go for a hike and you have a run-in with a mother bear. You feel intense fear and your brain interprets that fear as being caused by the bear. So the bear pattern becomes associated with the fear pattern. And now, as a result, the bear pattern has a lot of magical power over you. An altered state of consciousness, like being drunk or high or heavily caffeinated or anything like that, can also be a source of power. Just like an emotion, if it's a novel experience, the brain pays attention. And there are some emotions that we don't normally consider emotions at all. The little burst of happiness that you get from learning something, or the satisfaction of creating something. The satisfactions of hearing the completion of a rhyme, or looking at a beautiful piece of art, or hearing a clever joke. We tend to think of these as intellectual satisfactions, and they are, but they create a real emotional impression. Oftentimes, intellectual satisfactions will have the result of making something special. If you know that something is rare, that usually makes it special. For instance, a rare alignment of planets would be a special window of time. If you roll six 
uh, dice and they all come up sixes. That's a rare occasion and that makes something makes it special. It might mean, seem like it means something special. If you know that something is sacred, meaning it's set apart for a specific purpose, that makes it special. Specialness is basically just another word for magic power. Now, finally, there's sort of a catch-all way to imbue something with power, a pattern with power, and that's simply by paying attention to it. If you just focus your attention on something for a while, you're basically pouring raw magical power into it. You're telling your brain, this is important. Pay attention to this. Now, what's interesting about human beings, and probably some other social creatures, is that we don't necessarily have to have a strong experience for ourselves in order to be affected by it. Communication and storytelling and imagination and empathy allow us to transmit these experiences to each other. For instance, if I know the pattern for heat and pain, then you can tell me that when you touched fire, it was hot and it hurt your hand. Then my brain can connect the pattern of touching fire with the patterns of heat and pain. And I don't have to touch the fire for myself to find out. Saves a lot of trouble. If I like you and I trust you, that connection that I make is even stronger, and if you're a good storyteller, it's really strong. Now, by building patterns out of other patterns, which are in turn made out of other patterns, and so on and so on, we can accumulate a lot of power. So this brings me to the more practical applications here, because once you understand where magical power comes from, you can leverage that knowledge in your spiritual practice. Generally speaking, objects or places or people or whatever have power because they've accumulated power over time. A brand new manufactured wooden box off the shelf at Walmart has very little magical power because it's not unique or special, it doesn't have a story, it doesn't have any memories associated with it. It might be beautiful, but that's about all we can say about it. On the other hand, suppose you buy a similar but handmade wooden box from an estate sale of an eccentric reclusive old maid who lived in a mysterious mansion on the outskirts of town. That box has way more power because it has history. It's part of a rich web of associations. Depending on whether that old maid was kind or mean, it might have more positive or negative connotations, and there may be more specific connotations than that, depending on the backstory. But in any case, it has power. It has a connection to power. Even if you don't know anything about the woman herself, the scenes that you imagine from her life, the ways that you imagine that she used the box, give it more power. You could buy a bag of neat-looking rocks off the shelf at the Family Dollar, um, which they tend to store next to the candles and the other magic stuff, but a bag of neat-looking rocks that you found one by one on the beach over a period of months or years is way more magical, even if the rocks themselves aren't all that different. The ones you collected have history. It's a bag full of little moments uh, when you were ambling around and you noticed something beautiful in plain sight and you and you decided it was special enough to take home. Now, similarly, something that you created yourself is generally a lot more powerful than something you purchased because of all that time you spent paying close attention to it and the story of how you created it and the magic contained in the raw materials and their histories. Something you received as a gift is usually more powerful than something you purchased because it's associated with the feelings you have about the person who gave it to you. And it's associated with the occasion, too, like a certain Christmas or a birthday or anniversary or whenever. And anything you've had for a long time or any place you've lived for a long time um, is going to accumulate power. Any place that you go back to again and again accumulates power. Any person that you spend a lot of time with accumulates power, especially if you're feeling strong emotions with them. 
you could work in the cubicle next to somebody for years and years and years, and they might have very little power if you don't really interact with them much, or, or if you only inter interact with them on a mundane level. But if you have a, a really intense uh, emotional conversation with them over beers, then suddenly they have more power. So here's where we come to the other end of the process. When you're casting a spell, you can leverage this knowledge of what has power in order to make that spell more powerful. You can wear your homemade wizard robes. You can wave the magic wand that you inherited from your witchy great aunt that she harvested from a, uh, an old hawthorn tree uh, in a sacred grove. And you can use a photo of the dead person that you're, that you're trying to commune with, a photo that you got from his mom. And all that will help, but you can also leverage this knowledge to transfer and create power using magic, the other end of the equation. You have the magic that you're using, that you're invoking, and you have the magic that you're manipulating. So you could take that random wooden box off the shelf from Walmart and enchant it in a ritual that uses existing powerful patterns and imbues the wooden box with power. You can cast a spell invoking powerful patterns in order to remove the emotional power that your ex has over you. Basically, you cast spells in order to tweak your brain's pattern library. So when you understand what makes things powerful, you can change what has power and what doesn't using spells. You can use spells to act on magic. This whole system of pattern recognition, which forms the basis of most of your brain's activities, can actually act on itself to change itself. It's like a computer program that can rewrite its own code while it's running. And that proves incredibly useful. And now it's time for the spell of the week. The spell of the week this week is a ritual to enchant a pen. So first, find a pen that is beautiful, durable, refillable, and enjoyable to use. Should feel comfortable in your hand. A pen that meets those criteria already has a fair bit of magic. Now, optionally, you could modify the pen slightly to make it unique. If it's a wooden pen, you could write a magical symbol on it with wood burning, or you could paint any pen a little bit to make it uh, unique and make it your own. By making the pen unique, you give it additional power because now it's the only pen in the world that's like that. Now, on the night of the full moon, take your pen out into a beautiful, secluded, natural setting, a sacred place. A clearing amid a grove of trees is ideal. Now find a stone with a relatively flat surface and place it in the middle of the casting area. Lay the pen on the stone. Cast a circle around the, the area using candles, a wand, or a rope with a pen at the center of the circle. You can search the internet for how to cast a circle for more information on that. Now practice mindfulness for a minute or two while gazing steadily at the pen. Now dance around the circle clockwise eight times. For me, eight is a magic number that represents the circle of the hero's journey and the wheel of the year. It's, a, it's the circle of magical change. Feel the magical vortex that forms as you dance in the circle, drawing power from this sacred setting into your pen. Now, after the eighth time around, stop and stare intensely at the pen. Imagine colorful waves of raw magic streaming into it from your surroundings. Do this for about a minute. Now, visualize the magic being sealed into the pen. It's like the raw waves of magic that got sucked into it are now hardening into the shape of the pen, and now the pen glows with a magical aura. Practice mindfulness for about five minutes to let the magic take root. 
and then dispel your circle and go home. You now have a magic pen. You can use it anytime you need to write or draw something as part of a spell, and because you used a magic pen, it'll make that spell much more powerful. Now make sure that you store the pen in a special place, maybe near other magic items or in a special box. Make sure you only use it for magic, never for everyday, boring, mundane uses. Take care of the pen and refill it when it runs out of ink, and it will take good care of you. You can find the Placebo Magic Podcast and my poetry and other writing on the web at farmcodegary.com. Send your feedback to farmcodegary at protonmail.com and let me know if I can read your feedback on the show. Music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. You can support the show by giving us a review on your podcast app of choice, sharing an episode with a friend, or becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash placebo magic. Patreon supporters also gain access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus show. Remember, magic is a metaphor, and metaphor is magical.